1: And welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, a podcast that is the bit in the middle of a Venn diagram of circles that say politics, comedy, and people who don't understand Venn diagrams. This is episode 109. I'm Tina Duyeb, and oh my god, this week, this day of politics, I've had to re record this show and rewrite it so many times. Yes, the man composed entirely of rolled up bits of tissue you find in your trouser pockets after you wash them, David Davis and Canvas Bags. Bag full of warm custard creams, Boris Johnson, have both resigned from their posts in Cabinet in a move that I describe as almost making me like Brexit a bit. David Davis left his post as Brexit secretary claiming he wouldn't have done a good job and it's hugely telling that he doesn't seem to realise he's been doing the job badly for the past two years already. It really does sum up his entire career that he's been threatening to resign for such a long time and now has only just managed it with probably no plan of where to go next. There is every chance David Davis is still, as I record this, wandering the halls of the Department of Exiting the EU, unable to find an easy way out and blaming absolutely everyone else for that. Meanwhile, Number 10 announced Boris's resignation before he did, meaning that for the first time ever, he temporarily had nothing to say, much to absolutely everyone's relief. Boris had described May's new Brexit deal over the weekend as an absolute stinker and said that anyone agreeing to it would just be polishing a turd before then agreeing to it, which made me wonder if polishing turds was just another Bullington Club exercise. But no, after that, Boris then resigned. Judging by this, I expect he'll be back in his position as Foreign Secretary by tomorrow and then resign again tomorrow night and then get back in it by Wednesday morning and resign again Wednesday night ad infinitum until he works out whatever's most popular. This all happened just two days after Prime Minister and what if someone pushed a cormorant bird through a lot of cobwebs, Theresa May, got her cabinet to agree on her new Brexit proposal, which overall could be summarised by saying, well, it's pretty much the same as what we already had in the EU, only less of it and for more money. And you have to be careful with that, because I mean, when that happened with Freddo's, the British public were well pissed. May's plan is essentially a soft Brexit, but with some added cherry picking, general fudging, and lots of cake eating. I mean, essentially, if it was being served up in an ice cream parlour during the heatwave, it'd be a hit. But otherwise, finding out that the government still doesn't have a workable Brexit solution is a disappointing scoop. Yeah, I went there. Ice cream puns. Deal with it. The plan did the incredible job of disappointing absolutely everyone, as Remainers have accused her of having a deal that the EU won't agree to, as it just takes the bit she wants rather than natural proper solution, and is really pissed off the Brexiteers, who don't think it sounds anything like whatever it is that they have in their heads that they never seem to be able to express, except in nonsensical soundbites. Over the weekend, Environment Secretary and Flesh Sponge Michael Gove praised May for uniting the Cabinet, though I'm pretty sure he only went along with the Chequers plan because it was far too many pages to tear up. He went as far as to say that the deal was not perfect, but it is the best that can be achieved, which also could have been a brilliant description for EU membership two years ago, you massive twat. No one resigned on Friday, but that could have been because May said that if anyone had done while they were at Chequers, they'd have lost their ministerial car and they'd have had to get a cab, knowing full well that Transport Secretary and Gollum, Chris Grayling, was in attendance, and therefore any transport methods would crumble to dust. But David Davis resigned at midnight on Sunday, stating that it was looking less and less likely that the government could deliver on the mandate of the referendum. You know, the mandate that had absolutely no fucking detail to it. Considering David Davis only spent four hours negotiating with the EU in the past seven months, I'm surprised he's got any idea at all what the mandate is anymore. I mean, it's a bit like asking a teenage Saturday star for any shop ever anything more complicated than what time they get to go home. It turns out that what Nadine Dorries meant all those weeks ago when she tweeted that Davis' ex-SAS, he's trained to survive, meant that his survival skills involved going AWOL the second things get heated. If anything, the only reason Davis shouldn't have resigned is because really, he should have been fired ages ago first for saying, you know, I don't know, that there were no Brexit reports and then there were and then there weren't. Or perhaps for suggesting that the Irish border should be 10 miles wide, which basically reduces Northern Ireland to someone's backyard and half the Titanic Museum. When asked if Davis's resignation was a problem, the EU Commission spokesperson said, not for us, presumably completely unaware as to who he was with such infrequent visits. I mean, I'm guessing they saw the man that fixed the printers far more often. Three other ministers in the Department of Brexit also resigned after Davis because it seems they just love leaving things without any sort of plan as to what to do next, leaving everyone else in it. Meanwhile, Boris has resigned over, well, mostly his own leadership dreams, it seems, as it's definitely not for any of the other billions of things that he should have resigned for over the past two years. Nor is it to do with the finding by the Electoral Commission that Vote Leave, the campaign that Boris was part of, broke the law by illegally channelling £600,000 of funds to a smaller organisation in the last few weeks. I mean, what do you mean the campaign that lied on a bus may have done some (laughs) naughties? Any more shocks like this? and I may need something to stop me falling into a deep nap. No, it turns out that the only thing that can get Boris out of his Foreign Secretary post is his fragile ego worrying that another Cabinet Minister might show him up by resigning first. If we'd known that, I mean, we could have encouraged them to get on it ages ago. Boris's resignation letter warned that the UK was heading for the status of a colony, proving exactly why he needed to resign as Foreign Secretary. Before then pointing out that we need EU laws for the health of our economy, as though he'd mixed up which letter he was writing for his resignation and which he would have written had remained one two years ago. Fellow dog whistler Zach Goldsmith backed Boris by saying that he could throw himself in front of a bus, and no, sadly, it doesn't end there or I'd be right on board. He said he could throw himself in front of a bus to save a child, and his opponents were still accusing him of being opportunistic, but we all know the reality is he'd only do that to rugby tackle the child and prove a petty point, and he probably wouldn't even notice the bus unless he'd written a lot of lies on the side of it. David Davis has already been replaced as Brexit Secretary by Dominic Raab, a man who looks like the mean maitre d' in a restaurant or hotel in a children's comedy film, who then gets thwarted by a clever dog and a six-year-old with a catapult, and somehow loses his trousers and then falls face down in soup. That is what he looks like. Look at him. That is exactly it. Rob is probably best known for trying and failing for years to abolish the Human Rights Act and replace it with the British Bill of Human Rights, uh, which really he didn't have any ideas for. So he's going to be perfectly suited to dealing with a complicated, tricky deal that has absolutely no decent alternative. Theresa May needed to hire someone with the creativity and imagination to see Brexit through. And with Rob, she's got someone whose imagination can't make it past having the same lunch from Pret every single day. Rob is a hardline Brexiteer who's made comments before about how if the EU want to play hardball, it is them who will suffer. So I'm sure we'll be progressing through this deal at a rapid pace now him and his realistic viewpoint are in charge. Can you smell that sarcasm? Oh, It absolutely reeks of it in here. Oh no wait, sorry, that is me. It's so oh, it's so warm today. Still though, Rob is stupid enough to take Davis's now poisoned chalice of a job, even though he's unlikely to drink from it unless it has a pret-vitamin volcano in it. And in Boris's place, you'll be glad to hear, May has made Jeremy Hunt the new foreign secretary, which is like letting a two-year-old go to the shops by themselves. I mean, there's every chance he's going to come back from diplomatic missions with just a giant Toblerone he bought in the airport and nothing else. Saying that, I'm sure there'll be much rejoicing when people realise that this means he can no longer damage the NHS, something that we'll all take back when we realise he only took this position so he could directly flog off large chunks of it to other world leaders. Hospitals in other countries must be absolutely gutted. No, Hunt, we said send aid, not replace Doctors Without Borders with some branded virgin care sofas and a surgeon who's only trained in hairdressing that smells nice. What does Hunt, as Foreign Secretary, say to the world about us as a country? I mean, previously, with Boris, we said, Here's Britain. It looks like someone filled an old bra with hard-boiled eggs and it can't stop being racist. And now, with Hunt, May's saying, Here's Britain. It looks like someone elongated a dead gerbil and it hides when scared. I mean, what does Hunt have on May? What on earth does he have on her? Is it pictures of her in the field of wheat? Is it? It must be. I can't imagine what else it could be. One unnamed Tory MP told the press that if Theresa May doesn't scrap the Chequers deal, another cabinet minister will go, and then another. All of which makes it sound like a really preferable option. Just keep going till there's none left. Have fun, guys. Though, I mean, I have to say, I bet if disgraced MP Liam the Disgraced Fox resigned, absolutely no one would notice for several months, at least. I mean, he's he's probably already gone. Has anyone seen him? No idea. David and Boris's resignation now jeopardises the possibility of a soft Brexit and possibly also May's leadership, although she's got off the hook this evening. So is the PM in jeopardy or will she continue to hang on to number 10 like the weird limpet that she is, eventually having to be removed by force once the whale that is the Tory party is beached and dead? And who would replace her if she went? Because who on earth wants to deal with Brexit when there's only weeks till the white paper and only months till the final deal and us leaving the EU? Would it be creation from H.P. Lovecraft's Book of Felting, Jacob Rees-Mogg? Would he do because he has no concept of time, otherwise he'd stop living in 1853? Or would it be Scottish Conservative and the kid from Up, Ruth Davidson, who's told Tory MPs to put their shoulders to the wheel and back the Prime Minister, which proves she'd be a terrible driving force if that's how she thinks cars work? Or will Bojo continue the trend in the Western world of just electing a mop top head, destructive ego-diggy to be in charge? Of course, all of this has prompted Sea Urchin trapped in a bag full of cow sick Nigel Farage to threaten to return to politics and become UKIP leader again. And I have to say, let's be fair, that is what the country needs right now, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? A common enemy for everyone to unite against. Farage said that he never wanted a career in politics, which is odd considering if he returns that'll be his umpteenth time trying to have a career in politics. If anything, I'm sure he'd have even more public backing if he just stopped trying and fucked right off. I mean everyone, let's gang together and persuade him to not have a career in sweeping minefields with his face and fingers crossed he'll be raring to go within days. Meanwhile, in other news, one person has died and another is still critically ill after they were poisoned with Novichok in Wiltshire, three months after Sergei Skripal and his daughter were attacked with the same stuff in what was suspected to be a Russian spy attack. Police think that these recent victims may have come into contact with the container that held the substance, while Home Secretary and man whose head was the stunt double for all of the Poddington Peas, Sajid Javid, has accused Russia of using Britain as a dumping ground for poison. Hooray! We've found our post-Brexit use as a country! Well done, everyone! I mean, personally, with this attack in Amesbury, I'm certain this is part of a Russian plan to ruin Stonehenge and poison all of the Druids so that they'll forget when the seasons are and curse the whole country. Although, to be fair, judging by the weather and the current state of things, this may have already happened. And lastly, US President and stupid cheese popper Donald Trump has had his talks with North Korea collapse, a sentence that is very hard to say without revealing just how unsurprising it is just hours after US Secretary of State and what if you drew a face on a big toe Mike Pompeo said the denuclearization negotiations were productive North Korea complained that the US had a gangster-like mindset and their attitude was regrettable now I don't know if Trump is smart enough to have a gangster-like mindset but then again he does have an incredible ability to run down and ruin casinos Trump is making a state visit to England on Friday, or as I like to call it, a fucking state-of-things visit. It seems like he'll be avoiding London on his trip to dodge all the protests that will be happening, and I for one hope he spends six days trapped in traffic on the M25. A giant Trump baby hot air balloon will be given the go-ahead to fly over the capital during the protest, causing many idiots who often complain about the oppression of free speech to say that this shouldn't be allowed. I mean, to be honest, I don't think it's appropriate either, but only because, in reality, Trump can barely keep hot air in for a minute it before violently expelling it from at least one end, usually during a press conference. I mean, who knows though what's going to happen with the visit because the Queen is currently unwell, Theresa May may not even be Prime Minister by the end of the week, there's probably not going to be anyone in the Cabinet left and so there's every chance Trump will arrive and just have to face walking up and down stairs all by himself with no hand to clutch his tiny fist to. Still though, who's paying attention when football is apparently coming home? And more importantly, uh, have we got enough milk in for when it returns? Are you going to be in or do I have to be in? And is it aware that his bedroom is now a storage cupboard? Uh, howdy, Paul Brods. How are you? I mean, what a week, eh? What a day. It's only Monday. And here I was thinking, oh, well, not a lot to pop on the podcast this week. Maybe I can go into some other things that have happened. And then slam, Davis finally resigns. And then, boom, Boris resigns. And then there's Rob in a post and Hunt in a post. And it's basically it's not so much shit hitting the fan as using a fan to unblock a vast sewage network and then forgetting to pop your goggles on. It is weird just how happy I get when these things happen just before the podcast comes out. I mean, they're all awful, but at the same time, uh, quite good. I'm like, yeah, it's tough to talk about. I mean, there is also every chance that this week's show will be entirely irrelevant before you've even heard it. But look, if that happens and you want to give me a call for updates every five minutes, just ring me on 0779 Ha, 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 as if. I mean, as if I'll have any clue what's going on either. I'm baffled by it all. And I've currently got a very blocked right ear. I mean, not that you want to know this, but it has meant that certain bits of news, selective things my wife says, and most of my daughter's worst noises have been completely ignored by me for the last few days. I mean, not on purpose purpose much I mean I suppose I could have pointed my left ear more directly at the source of sound rather than pop a finger in it and temporarily pretend the world is calm but all I'm saying is there's every chance you'll notice something on this week's show and you'll think they didn't say that and it's just because um that's what I thought it sounded like to me through my one working ear and I probably should have double checked reason number 7,843 why well, I'm not a reliable news source yet again stop using me as one um, but god I've had to rewrite this show so many times I've re-record. re-recorded it so many times so thank you for tuning into whatever this ends up being um also big thank you this week to whoever left the review on podbean last week i don't have an account so i've got no idea um who to credit this to i can't see your name if you don't have a podbean account um but this really really made me laugh so i thought i would share um they've put about last week's episode a laugh a minute podcast except for the big bit in the middle about the horrific war in yemen yep yeah. That about sums it up. Brilliant. Thank you for that, anonymous person. And don't forget other anonymous people. If you want to leave a review for the show, you can do it on Podbean, Castbox, uh, Stitcher, iTunes, and others I'm probably not aware of. And please, just go on there, give it a five stars, and say something nice, like uh, plinth. I always think that sounds nice. It's quite pleasing, isn't it? Plinth. Um, Also, nice reviews really do help get other listeners onto the show. I I read the other day that constantly asking people to review and donate um, is a real turn-off for new listeners. But then I think if you're new, how will you know that I do it constantly? So, um, just quickly, uh if you're new, if you want to donate to the show, go to patreon.com forward slash bro for a monthly thing or Kofi Ko-Fi.com forward slash parpolbro for a one-off thing. And links to both of those are on the website partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk as well. Has that put you off? Have you gone already? I mean, if you've gone already, you'll miss whatever exciting word I'm gonna say next. Plinth! It was plinth again. Sorry, what a letdown. You were probably right to leave. This week's show is whatever the one before the penultimate one before the summer is. Pen- penultimate? Penalultimate? Pencilultimate? Who knows? But yeah, there will be two more episodes after this before a summer break, probably until mid-September. Um, and the reason for that is that Parliament goes on recess on July the 24th. And also because getting guests is much harder when they're all likely on holiday. Um, also, more excitingly, I'm doing some kids' shows and adult shows in Hong Kong at the beginning of September. Um, if any of you are out there, I'll have details on my personal website, and do. UK soon. Um, so I'm not going to be able to record this again Until I'm back Which should be mid-September About time for conference season Which means I will get to play this jingle again It's September, October So it stands to reason That right now It's conference season Yeah, I know you're all very excited. Um, I might also put out a few mini episodes during the summer for the Brexit white paper reveal, uh, and God knows. God knows what else is going to happen. What the fuck else is going to happen? Who knows? Um, I'll try and put some little bits out, because I hate leaving all of you with absolutely nothing else to listen to for a month. No other. How are you going to cope with no other sounds in your life? It'll be like me with my blocked ear, but both are awful. Anyway, um, the other thing you can also do is go back through all the archives on the website, check out any you've missed, and laugh about how sadly irrelevant all the jokes have got because everything is now worse. But most of the interviews are sadly still relevant because everything is now worse. And on this week's show, though, I am speaking to Professor Steve Sang in a very speedy interview about China. And of course, there's so, so much Brexit fallout. I mean, I'm not even sure if there's anything left to fall out of it. It's more just like an empty Brexit tube, not even like a fun potato one. And that's it. That's all this week. China and Brexit fallout because I've spent my entire day writing and then deleting bits as the news has changed every five minutes. I mean, I genuinely think that in the next election, whenever it happens, the first candidate that promises less news, I will vote for. Although I realise that less news actually sounds quite authoritarian, so I probably won't vote for them. Oh God, why is there no winning? All right, everyone, let's get on with this. According to the average person, China is the global power to watch right now. I mean, of course, with a population of 1.379 billion, the average person is Chinese. So, of course, they'd say that. The Chinese government announced last year that China is now a global power. I mean, something I had no idea that you could do yourself. Can I just announce I'm a global power? Can I do that? Hey, guys, I'm a global power now. I hope that's cool. But alongside the growing economy, China also gained a leader, Xi Jinping, a man who's regularly mocked as looking like Winnie the Pooh, only, thankfully, Xi Jinping wears trousers. Xi's foreign policy has been hailed, but his insistence on changing the rules so that he can remain in power indefinitely has not. China continues to breach human rights regulations, including press freedom, the legal and political status of Tibet, political oppression and the use of the death penalty for nonviolent offences. But at the same time, they've really cracked down on pollution. So swings around about, eh? I mean, sure, Chinese people are pretty oppressed, but at least they can gulp down that tasty air. I mean, until they're probably arrested for breathing in the wrong place or something. But in recent months, China has become involved in a trade war with the US due to Trump's insistence on America first for everything, you know, except his MAGA hats, ties and all of it. Clothing, ofs. While the government have put things into place to deal with it, China have now entered a bear market, something that even my limited economic knowledge knows means things have got grisly. Meanwhile, countries like New Zealand and Australia are rushing through policies to stop the rise of China's military power in the Asia-Pacific. So, will the Chinese bubble burst? Or will the president's ethos, known as Xi Jinping thought, something that sounds a lot like the beginning of a children's story, carry them through? Is pragmatic authoritarianism the only way to save the climate? And if so, how do we add the pragmatic bit to the UK and the US? Are bears for sale in a bear market or do they run the stalls? So many questions, so little time. So, who better to answer some of those questions in a very limited amount of time but Professor Steve Sang, director of the SOAS China Institute, which is the world-leading centre for China expertise and the largest community of Chinese scholars in Europe. Steve is a political scientist and a historian with a number of published books, including his most recent, Taiwan's Impact on China and China in the Xi Jinping Era. You've probably seen Steve on the telly at some point discussing Chinese politics, so I was extremely chuffed that he had time for me to chat to him, although I should say he really didn't have very much time as he's a very, very busy man. Um, When I spoke to him, he told me he had pretty much exactly 20 minutes to run through everything, but while there's a lot of questions um, that I would have liked to have asked, I think Steve gives a pretty thorough and very in-depth overview of China's current political situation. Um, Two quick things before we go into this. One is that we spoke a couple of weeks ago and the trade war with the US is still continuing and escalating but I think everything we discuss is still relevant. Um, Second, because we were rushed, idiot me panicked and forgot to hit record until after I'd asked my first question. So I've re-recorded that separately. Oh, and also, I think I might sound a little bit too pro-Xi Jinping a few times in this, which wasn't intentional, but it was largely to do with me trying to find any positives in, you know, his ruling for this show, just anything positive. uh, And also to do with my lack of knowledge that even the progress in terms of climate change is also somehow still a bit awful. Oh, well, I, I really tried guys i really tried anyway i hope you enjoy here is steve what led to china declaring themselves as a global power last year
2: after the global financial crisis and the chinese government saw the comparison of how china dealt with the global financial crisis and how the west fails to deal with it quite as effectively They were gaining in confidence. And then there was a change in leadership in China in 2012. And after the new leader, Xi Jinping, had been in office for five years and had managed to consolidate his power in China at the 19th National Congress of the Communist Party in October 2017, Xi Jinping decided that China's moment had come And therefore, it was no longer necessary for China to continue with the Deng Xiaoping approach of um, hiding China's capabilities and biting for time. Instead, Xi Jinping declared that China should take center stage.
1: Right, so it was uh, largely to do with Xi Jinping's uh, thought or his, uh, you know, the, the way in which he chose to conduct foreign policy, was it?
2: Yes, a lot of it really has to do with Xi Jinping. There was a change in the international context with the West appearing to be in decline, democracy not doing so well, and the declarations of end of history at the end of the Cold War now appearing as a bit rather uh, silly. And gaining confidence of the Chinese government that their own model work, and Xi Jinping feeling so confident, therefore he made this change on Chinese foreign policy.
1: So, in respects to to Xi Jinping, then if he's the person that's kind of boosted the country. Um, you know, a lot of the kind of news that we get in the UK now is that uh, the fact that he's uh, kind of now got indefinite rule. Um, that's could be, you know, seen as sort of pragmatic authoritarianism. But surely, I'm guessing a lot of people in the country see him as a good leader because he's boosted things.
2: Well, Xi Jinping has been a very, very lucky leader, and let's not underestimate the importance of luck of luck in politics or in military affairs. It was no less. A significant, a person as Napoleon who said, "Gave me a lucky general rather than a, a capable one." Um, Xi Jinping came to power at the end of China's own golden decade under Hu Jintao and Wen Jiabao, when the Chinese growth figure was higher than anybody ever imagined possible for a mature, uh, big major economy like China's. And therefore, Xi Jinping came in while the goings was really good, and in that five year, the uh, rest of the world was not doing quite so well, and therefore, in relative terms, China was doing fantastically well. And that gave people the impression that Xi Jinping is delivering so much and therefore able to do so much more. Whether Xi Jinping is a pragmatist or not, I think that remains to be seen. Uh, in a very important sense, Deng Xiaoping and the two other leaders who followed Deng Xiaoping were much more pragmatic, and Deng was the ultimate pragmatist. He's the man, He was the man who thought that whatever works would be fine. Xi Jinping, in a sense, is much more Uh, ideological, much more idealistic. He outlines a vision for China and he expects China to move in a direction that he directs and take that China to reach the vision that he has painted for China. Deng Xiaoping never did that.
1: Right, but is that now at the cost of democracy in China? I mean does the removal of the the um, term limits uh, as president does that does that essentially mean that democracy in China has gone or does or do you think that uh, that Xi Jinping plans to only have a limited term time with that?
2: Well, I would put it in a slightly different way after the repression of popular Uh, demand for change, and better governance and democracy in the spring of 1989, the Communist Party of China had demonstrated that under no circumstances would it tolerate and accept a democratic transition. And therefore, from 1989 onward, there really was not any chance of China moving in the direction of democracy. quite different from the uh, latter part of the 1980s when such ideas were actually openly discussed in China, including some senior members of the Communist Party. What the removal of term limits for Xi Jinping has meant is not that the Communist Party becomes uh, anti-democratic because it's always been anti-democratic since 69 anyway. The difference is in terms of the... uh, quality of governance. One of the key features since the end of uh, the 1980s, a key factor that allowed China to do so well, was that even though it was not democratic, the Communist Party increasingly allowed for larger and larger scope for internal discussions and debates, so that the party avoid making mistakes by accepting criticisms by fellow leaders in coastal internal meetings. The removal of the term limits has also meant Xi Jinping consolidating his power so much that within the top echelon of the Communist Party, now there is nobody who can and will dare to openly disagree with Xi Jinping. So the scope for internal debates amongst the policy leaders in China has now narrowed significantly, and with that uh, reduction in the scope for internal debate, the, the risk of a policy going wrong has become much higher. I think that is the most important result of the ending of the term limit of Xi Jinping as leader of China.
1: Wow. So is that uh, why there is sort of current talk that that China's now entered a a bear market this week? And, you know, I regularly see articles asking if the China bubble is going to burst. Is that partly to do with now Xi Jinping not being able to or or not taking any criticism whatsoever?
2: Well, I wouldn't say (laughs) that any particular uh, current problem the Chinese economy is facing uh, is the result of Xi Jinping consolidating his position even more and reducing the scope for uh, policy debate even more, because that's been going on for quite a while now. Um, Contemporary, current economic troubles often happens for all kinds of reasons. The uh, intensity of the trade war with the United States and particular problems uh, that comes up with the uh, market and all all that sort of things. In the background is that steady drum bit of the consolidation of Xi Jinping's position and the consequential reduction in the space for internal policy debates, and therefore the opportunities to remove policy mistakes being made before policies are implemented.
0: Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select Lab Grown Diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off Lab Grown Diamonds. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of
1: LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash spoken today. We'll be back with Steve in a minute, but oh dear. Here we, oh God, here we go. I find that old adage about how politicians are out of touch is often used a bit too much. I mean, especially when most people are out of touch about a lot of things, because, you know, they've got other shit to do. I mean, there's no way I can even attempt to be woke when I'm so goddamn tired all the time. But this time last week, I read an article about how Theresa May had asked the Treasury and the Bank of England to assess the impact of Brexit on the UK, and I spent about 10 minutes double-checking that it wasn't an article from 2016, because everyone and your mum knew it should have been done then. Right? But no, it had only just occurred to the Prime Minister that maybe, just maybe, she'd better see what the outcome of this shitstorm is that they've whipped up with whisks, fury and a bucket of fresh fecal horror before throwing themselves headfirst into it and being surprised that their eyes sting. Not so much out of touch as no longer living here and somehow has nerve damage. And now here we are, a week later, with Tweedledum and Tweedledasshole having resigned from the Cabinet, a Brexit plan that likely still won't be accepted by the EU, and hard Brexiteers frothing at the mouth like they've been bitten by a radioactive cappuccino maker. or because they don't like a plan that softens Brexit, all the while still completely unable to say what their better plan would be instead. I mean, I feel a lot like the hard Brexiteers in the Conservatives are like a two-year-old who just says no to everything, because it's the only bit of power they have. No, no, no. And then when they're offered an ice cream, they shout no and then cry for days because they didn't get an ice cream and have absolutely no idea why. So here's what the checkers agreed deal is. There are 12 main rules and these include when anyone says Europe, we have to immediately say my rope and look confused. Uh, there's a tariff on French kissing, Dutch courage, Brussels sprouts and people saying it's all Greek to me. Uh, fish are going to need passports and all customs borders are going to be replaced by Morris dancing borders. So goods can only pass through if they then do two steps back over it again. Okay, none of those are in it, but I really wish they were. Instead, actually, it's just a really soft Brexit deal um, with harmonisation of EU goods rules, but only the ones necessary to allow for frictionless trade, of which Parliament would have the final say over, not the EU. Uh, And then there'd be different arrangements for different trade services, such as financial products with greater regularity, flexibility, and strong reciprocal arrangements, all of which I'm not sure actually mean anything, but they sound very clever. There'll be a combined customs territory, which is kind of like a customs union only with different letters. The UK would control its own tariffs and have an independent trade policy. The European Court of Justice would no longer have jurisdiction in the UK but it also will in areas where we use similar laws. And finally, freedom of movement will end but there will be a mobility framework which is, again, like freedom of movement but if you asked an arsehole to describe it. So basically the whole thing is, hey, we'll just rename a few bits as I'm sure no one will notice and then you won't mind if we just dictate all these trading things by ourselves and you just deal with them, right? Which I'm entirely sure that you will go for you can see why everyone's miffed I mean it's a bit like if you loved your pet dogs but you also collected expensive porcelain and so for a present I got you a clay cat that I made while drunk so what are the alternatives to this Chequers plan? Well, the Brexiteers Conservatives seem to think the best plan would be to, uh, well, um, leave and then cross fingers for a bit, I guess. No one knows. Uh, Remainers obviously don't want any of this. And then the centrists kind of want what May is asking for, but with even less free movement because they're racists. Again, there is no solution, but the one that there is isn't good enough because it's shit. Now we have Dominic Raab as Brexit Secretary, and he's a very ardent Brexiteer who wanted to get rid of the EU Working Time Directive so there'd be no limit on work hours and to scrap rights for agency workers, as well as scrap the European Human Rights Act and replace it with the British Bill of Rights, which isn't a thing. So it's really great that he's in charge, right? I mean, I'm sure he'll get right there to the EU saying, look, do whatever you want with trade, just tell me for sure I'm going to get to dick on all the little people, otherwise I won't get my kicks. But fact is, he probably won't actually get to do much, as since David Davis so spectacularly did, well, nothing, most EU negotiations have gone via Ollie Robbins, the permanent Secretary of Department of Exiting the European Union, and a man who's always pulling a face like he smelt something awful, but I guess he has been working with Liam Fox. With so little time to go, it'll be him and Number 10 dealing with most of the Brexit stuff, and so I'm guessing they'll mainly just take Rob on trips to Brussels so he can play in the fountains and run around the parks. But Davis's and Boris's resignations mean all of this isn't just simple. That's not now the plan. It can't just go ahead because May's plan for softer Brexit is in jeopardy with so many people complaining. And that might explain why David Lidlington held a cross-party meeting to get Labour MPs on board with the Chequers plan as well. May's leadership could also be at risk, although we all know she's harder to remove than bloodstains off your sacrificial robes. If her leadership was challenged, that would just mean a party vote for a new leader followed by possibly a general election to justify the change in Prime Minister, all of which could take months. And there isn't months. And there's a parliamentary recess in a few weeks. And if there's a people's vote on the final deal, where would you fit that in as well? I mean, it's taken over two years just for David Davis to realise he was bad at his job. Time is of the essence. But the essence, sadly, is whatever Olly Robbins keeps smelling. And I think it's bad couple of other interesting things from the past week, as if times weren't interesting enough. Uh, firstly, a biggie rather than a two-pack. The Electoral Commission have found the Vote Leave campaign broke the law by illegally channelling £600,000 of funding to a smaller campaign, Be Leave, in the last few weeks of the Brexit campaign under electoral commission rules campaigns can work loosely together but not have a common plan and let me tell you £600,000 is much more than a common plan and much more intimate kissing and touching in all the same places so that's now the Vote Leave campaign breaking the law plus the Leave.eu campaign breaking the law and all of human colostomy bag Aaron Banks' secret meetings with Russian officials and with such a small winning margin to Leave two years ago you really have to question now if the result was legit and if it isn't legit is it too not legit to quit? I thought all of this was about British values, and I have to say there is nothing British about rule-breaking. I bet all of this lot push in cues as well and openly say they don't like tea. They do not represent me. Is the Electoral Commission going to do anything? Well, probably not. It'll probably be a minor fine. But it may get passed to police, like the Leave.eu case has been, so we'll have to see. But by the time it all gets sorted out, we'll probably already have left. Hey, though, at least we'll be able to tell the grandkids about how funny it is that all those illegal manoeuvres tore the country apart and the government legitimised it, which will surely make them giggle before they gear up and go out to fight for water. The other thing is that Stephen Bush at the New Statesman ran stats to check if Labour uh, went full Remain, would they gain more votes? And he worked out, well, no, not really. Um, on his basis, Conservatives are currently two, to three points ahead, depending on which polls you don't trust. Uh, and three quarters of Tory voters back Leave and a quarter back Remain. So if Labour went full Remain and stole those Remain voters, they'd gain a 10 point lead and Tories would lose 10 points. But Labour would also lose their quarter of Leave voters who may go Tory, thus leaving everyone in exactly the same position as they were before. Hooray! So what should Labour do to get ahead in the polls? I have no idea. Go ask your dad. I mean, some of my small ideas, though, are challenge made to a jousting fight, maybe? Start a plan to make sure that on the next voting day, no Tory voters can find their keys? I mean, no, honestly, much like Theresa May, I'm completely out of ideas. But if things keep going as they are, it may well just be a question of whoever's still got enough ministers that haven't resigned yet in order to lead and finally if you're interested and this isn't really a Brexit fallout but more uh, I don't know a weird archaic conservative procedure weird archaic conservative procedure that's better If enough MPs want May out then they have to destroy her horcruxes I mean sorry 15% of Conservative MPs aka 48 or actually 47.4 if you want to be so precise so I think that means Gove has to bring his familiar or something uh, they have to write to the head of the 1922 committee which is so called because that's when all their policies are from If Graham Brady the head of the 1922 committee gets enough votes 48 it triggers a vote of all 316 Conservative MPs and May would need half of them to vote for her in order for her to keep going and more than half Half of those would have to vote against her to trigger a leadership contest, at which point everyone realises that as much as they hated May her replacements are so much worse. But, it doesn't look like that's happened this time round though, um, and if anything, May had quite a lot of support at the 1922 meeting this evening as I'm recording this, and that's probably because they've already met Jacob Rees-Mogg, and the idea of him getting a whole shelf of the Star fridge to put all his bottles of his nanny's breast milk into makes them feel sick. So, Davis gone, Johnson gone, several others no one cares about gone, arrives, May stays put, Jeremy fucking Hunt, what does he know? There's every chance that this was all the storm, before the calm, before the storm. But how do I know, as like a total political amateur, I'm only aware of the current day and age? And now, back to Steve. I wanted to ask actually about that. You mentioned the the trade wars with the US. Do you think that because of China's uh, rise, it's now become a a threat to other global powers? Because I know Australia proposed new laws to kind of tackle Chinese interference. They said, uh, obviously, we've now seen Trump's trade war with China. Um, Do do you think this has made other countries more cautious of China in some ways? I think it certainly
2: has made other countries much more cautious uh, with the rise of China. Again, what Xi Jinping has done makes a huge contrast with his immediate predecessor uh, Hu Jintao. When Hu Jintao became leader in twenty in two thousand and two, one of the first things he did was to reassure the rest of the world that the rise of China would be peaceful. And then he even changed that and say that we better avoid the term rise. We will say in China, we are talking about a peaceful development and then modify that to become a commitment to promote a harmonious world. And he did everything he could to try to reassure China's international partners that China is not trying to... uh, rise and compete against them, and then potentially threaten anybody. Now, The assertive approach that Xi Jinping has taken um, goes in the opposite direction. It's more like now the Chinese government under Xi Jinping requests and requires the rest of the world to pay it due respect. And in that process, In taking a much more robust stance, the Xi administration is also reaching out to the uh, Chinese communities outside of China and demand them to show their loyalty to Mother China, whatever the nationality of those uh, Chinese outside of China hold. Again, that sort of things cause quite a fair bit of concern in various governments.
1: Sure, I can imagine. And and do you think that the way in which that China are currently dealing with the the U.S. Uh, trade war is smart? Because I know they've just pumped quite a lot of money into the uh, into their own economy to try and help small businesses. Do you think that's going to help them out? Are they going to be less affected by the U.K. tariffs? Uh, sorry, U.S. tariffs uh, as a result.
2: The single biggest helper for the Chinese in dealing with the trade war with the Americans is probably President Trump himself. Um, The basic problem the US has with China, which is the lack of reciprocity, is a problem that other major Western economies also have with China. Any of the major European economies and Japan will share the same sentiments that the U.S. administration have about a lack of reciprocity. But by focusing on the uh, issue of trade imbalance and tariff, Trump has managed to antagonize every single major American airline who, who would potentially have a problem with the Chinese government and persuade them that in the contests between China and the US, the Chinese government is taking a more reasonable approach than the Trump administration's is. Now, this gives the Chinese a huge advantage in how they respond to the Trump administration in the trade war. And of course, the Chinese administration have also been preparing for a trade war for well over a year from ever since they knew that trump was elected as president of the united states and because of the rhetoric of trump as a candidate the chinese government knew this would be coming at some stage so they have been prepared and preparing for this for well over a year and therefore they know how to target the Uh, major constituencies that would hurt the Trump administration most in how they respond to the American uh, escalation.
1: That seems incredibly savvy. And I suppose that's one thing you can always have sort of uh, one up on Trump is actually being prepared uh, for a plan. Um, it's, uh, I wanted to ask as well, do you think that the... Uh, so we were discussing earlier about other countries seeing China as maybe a threat, but obviously also now uh, other countries need to trade with China because they're such a power. And do you think that that is going to mean that attempts to tackle sort of uh, abuse of human rights is going to be lessened because uh, of the need for trade instead? You know, is it going to stop campaigning, for example, for Tibet's freedom because, uh, you know, they don't want to be at risk of trade issues?
2: I think we are already seeing that as a uh, reality on the ground. Um, We don't really hear much of major Western countries taking on the human rights issues in China in a big way at all. And, of course, the um, UN Human Rights Council itself has changed substantially in the course of the last 15 years. China is now a leading player in the Human Rights Council, which, th- which therefore sets an agenda that really dis- uh, directs the Human Rights Council Uh, attention away from the kind of problems that China is having with human rights um, to some other issues. I mean, we're in a situation where in the um, autonomous region of Xinjiang of China, the kind of uh, surveillance police state has become so severe that practically one in 10 able-bodied male meager would have been uh, put in a concentration camp at some stage in the last few years. So we're talking about very serious um, tightening up of controls that have very significant negative implications on human rights, but that is not really being mentioned much. Uh, Now, compared to say uh, 10, 20 years ago, when in fact the scale of abuse of human rights in China might have been, in some cases, less
1: intense. Sure. And does that mean that, that I mean that, that that's quite horrific hearing about that? And is that does that mean that sort of for Chinese people the times are now quite hard? Like, is is the you know, would the average Chinese person be pro Xi Jinping or or quite upset with the way things currently are?
2: The average Chinese citizen is pro Xi Jinping. The average Chinese citizen is still having a better tomorrow stand today. Um, Xinjiang is a very unusual province because Xinjiang uh, autonomous region is essentially a minority populated region. Uh, now the uh, migration of the Han Chinese into Xinjiang has changed the population mix. But by and large, it is the Uyghurs in Xinjiang who are facing the plunge of the uh, surveillance state and the police state. Um, The Han Chinese in China proper, in the rest of the country in China, they really are not facing the same intensity of control. I mean, they may be facing the social credit system and enormous amount of electronic monitoring like the regular installation of face-recognizing cameras all over the cities. So if you jaywalk, you could find your face being flashed up on a big screen TV uh, shaming you, and then you have your social credit being reduced, and you may have your capacities to buy air tickets to travel being restricted. But you are still talking about a minority number of people uh, being affected that way at this stage the overwhelming majority of people in China are still seeing their living standards being improved and therefore they support Xi Jinping.
1: I just wanted to ask. Obviously, the uh, you know there are many aspects of kind of Xi Jinping's uh, authoritarian rule that are quite terrifying. But one uh, good side that I understand is that um, you know Beijing, for example, has reduced a lot of its pollution. Um, this kind of direct rule means that there isn't any arguing about making more environmentally friendly procedures. So is China now leading the way in terms of being in environmental, environmentally friendly?
2: Well, Xi Jinping make it one of his policies to make China greener and more beautiful. And therefore, some factories simply have been ordered to be shut. And last winter, coal burning was being banned in Beijing. And therefore, a very large population in Beijing had to go without proper heating. Um, But it was certainly improving the air quality in Beijing. Last winter, it had more blue sky days than people could remember for a long time.
1: Wow. So, yeah, so pluses and minuses. Obviously, that's a lot of people that have lost work as well, I assume, uh, with the coal mines closing. Indeed. Um, and just my very last question I want to ask you, um, apart from yourself, obviously, um, and your books, is there anyone that you would recommend listeners uh, follow or read up on for uh, good reporting on Chinese politics?
2: Well, um, Elizabeth, Economy is always worth uh, reading. And uh, David Shambhal is also a good uh, scholar on China, and Joseph Phil Smith and Barry Norton as well.
1: Big thanks to Steve for having a tiny window in his very busy day for us to speak. I highly recommend you check out his books uh, Taiwan's Impact on China, published last year, and China in the Xi Jinping Era, published in 2016. And they are available from all bookshops, irrespective of their moral standing. Steve doesn't appear to be on any social media sites because, well, he's obviously clever and has many better things to do. But the SOAS China Institute is on Twitter at SOAS underscore CI, and you can find their website at soas.ac.uk forward slash SCI forward slash. I don't know if you need that second forward slash, but I threw it in for a double double slashing effect. That sounds weird. Um, all the other people Steve recommends will be listed and linked on the partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk website by the end of the week. Next week, I think it's all going to be about Mexico uh, and then the week after is about political online targeting and then it's the summer break. But it'd be great to know uh, who to get in for the autumn and what subjects to be looking at, you know, other than endless... Endless Brexit. So, if you have any recommendations for interviewees or political areas to talk to someone about, please drop me a line at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com, the contact page at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk, the at Parprobro Twitter, or the Partly Political Broadcast Facebook page. Or, as I've seen online in the past week, you could scratch your message into a banana skin, and then if I buy that banana, the message will appear as it ripens. Cool, huh? However, unless you sign the message, I'll probably think it's some sort of political targeting from a banana republic and ignore it. So, best, as always, to just email. (laughs) We'll be right back. <laughs> back. And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. Thank you once again for receiving these human squeaks into your head flaps and please don't forget to review the show on CastBox, Podbean, Stitcher, iTunes, Podliver Oil, the Podermite, Bohemian Puddy, and any others I've just made up. If you can, please donate to the Kofi or Patreon pages, Patreon Patreon and don't forget to check out partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk for all the links, transcripts and absolutely everything else to do with the show. Thank you very much to ACAST for wrapping this podcast in his audio tortilla and to my brother the last skeptic for all of the musics and please don't forget to get his latest album under the patio from all your favorite music places yes even that bandstand in your local park if you pop your ear to the ground and listen real close this will be back next week when boris johnson goes on holiday and forgetting he's no longer foreign secretary gets his wife arrested by saying she's lying about her job to passport control bye This week's show is brought to you by David Davis's new recruitment agency. You don't have to be clever to do this. Are you aware everyone in your office is far too efficient? Is it causing crap banter and not enough tea making? Well, sign your business up to You Don't Have to Be Clever to Do This and we'll make sure we send you the best candidate for sitting around on their ass for absolute years, sponging off the payroll, complaining they have to read too much, and excelling in blaming everyone else if something goes tits up. Joining up is free because our select candidates will cost you an awful lot of money and time. David Davis says you don't have to be clever to do this, getting the job done, so you absolutely won't.
0: Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.